I'm so glad to be with you today. Um, it, it's just a, a great day to be together. And when we come together, we're talking about community today. We're looking at the book of Acts in, in Acts chapter 2. And community is one of those things that we often take for granted. We come to church every week, the people that we see. But it's so important that we understand the essentials of church and what we're actually doing here. So let's turn to the Lord if you would pray with me and we'll ask him for his blessing and his help this morning. Jesus, as we look at your scriptures and as we come together, God, we, we realize that we desperately need you. We need your Holy Spirit to meet us where we're at. That you would open your scripture to us and that we would respond to it in a way that reflects changed hearts with renewed passion for our region, for our city, for those that are still far from you, God, that we would not leave this place the same, that we would actually vow right now to be different, that we would hear your words today and respond. God, come and change our hearts. Make us new. Restore us and restore the hope of your salvation in us so that when we leave today, when we go to this picnic to experience community, that it doesn't just stop there, that we take the gospel and the good news and the hope of a new way of life into this city to change it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any fishermen? Do you guys fish? Yeah. Anybody fly fish? Fly fish, you know, where they're crazy, they do the thing, you know what I mean? You ever see that? Well, I'm a fly fisherman. Uh, what I want you to picture is, is the movie, The River Runs Through It, and Brad Pitt just put me in his spot. That's right. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> Can't go there? Can't do it? No, I didn't think so. So uh, my dad and I are fly fishermen, and I'm, I'm an average fisherman. I catch fish sometimes when I go out. I generally only go out on the first day of trout. For trout fishermen, that's a religious holiday, uh, the first day uh, this year. Um, uh, just a, last year, I went out with my father, and the best part really is being together and fishing together. Um, but I was coming down the stream, and there was this group of people that had parked their party right by the stream. They had some, some coolers out, and they were drinking. I don't think they were fishing. I don't. They were just. Now I came down the stream, and the, the guy says, "Right there in that hole." I looked up. We're in like the middle of the Allegheny Forest. We're like, right there. There's a couple in there. I'm like, all right. So I'll, I'll give it a try. I started fishing. He's like, you want a beer? Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you want a beer? I'm like, no, that's okay. He's like, here. He just throws it across the stream, like 50 feet. I'm not going to drop it, you know, so I catch it. Just put it in my creel and just continue to fish. It was just a weird moment, you know. It's actually the only thing I caught that day. <laughs> only thing. But I'm an average fisherman, but if you look at my father, my father is like an Orvis catalog. If you know, Orvis is like uh, the, the Cadillac of fishing gear. And he's got everything. He's got the hat, Indiana Jones hat. He's got the rod that came in a kit that he put together and glued together. And he's got the vest. And he's got the chest waders with the shoes that go over the thing. And he's got, and everything says Orvis on it. He's got the fishing lures. He's got the flies that he's tied to perfection. 
who's got the dry flies and the wet flies, and he catches. Sometimes I've seen my father put on three different flies, drop flies. I don't know. I, I can't do it. And he caught two fish at one time. If my dad doesn't catch a fish in there, there are no fish in there. Okay? He's amazing. And he's got this little thing that flips down because, you know, he's 75 now. It's like magnifying glass, and he does his... It's awesome. But let me tell you that if you have all of that stuff and you don't have a hook, you are not going to catch any fish. If you don't have line with a hook, I took a group of teenagers out in the middle of the woods and we did a little experiment. I did an experiment with them because I'm like a social scientist. I want to see what happens with teenagers. So I gave them uh, some hooks and some, some fishing line and we were camped by a stream in the middle of the Allegheny Forest, and I said, do what you can, first one to catch a fish wins. And so they're like finding sticks, and they're trying to find bait, and, they, and the one kid puts a string on a stick and a bait, and he, he pulls up the fish, he wins. I had no prizes for him, I was just like, good job. <laughs> and then he tripped and got the hook in his finger, and the barb went into his finger. And I had to get a pair of pliers and wrench it out. But that's besides the story. The hook is an essential part. He didn't have anything else. Line and hook. Found some bait, put it on there, caught a trout. That's all that you need. There's so many things in church life that we think that we need. But sometimes we need to get back to the essentials about what church is really about. And I'm going to just say this, this building is the church equivalent of my father's Orvis chest waders. It's good. They're great. It's expensive. And it helps to do ministry. But if you don't have a hook, you're not going to catch anything. If you don't have the essentials of the faith, if you're not grounded in the word of God, then the building is no good. But when you're grounded, everything else can help you as long as it's focused in the right direction to win people to Christ. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Let me just give you a little history. Acts chapter 2, uh, the book of Acts is written by uh, the doctor Luke. Luke, this is his second volume. This first volume was the gospel of Luke. This is actually the second volume he writes. In this part, we see the church thriving at its infancy, and we find the stuff that the church needs to do at its essence, at its core. What happens right before this in Acts chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit descends. Jesus tells them to wait, and the Holy Spirit will come on you. He comes on them. They all start speaking and praising God in all the different languages of the people in that area, and they're amazed. Some people think that the disciples are drunk, but he said, no, it's not so. And so Peter gets up, and he gives his very first three-point sermon. You know what his three points were? Jesus was the Messiah. You killed him. You're in big trouble with God. Three points. The scripture says that they were cut to the heart. What must we do to be saved, they said. 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit will come. And 3,000, the church explodes into existence. 3,000 come to Christ that day. In this chapter, this verse, 42 through 47, gives us a window into what we find the church doing at its essence, at its core, in the beginning, at its genesis. So let's read Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, when I, uh, one uh, thing that I do in life, other than being the chaplain of the Erie City Mission, is I started a business of life coaching and leadership development. And I work with individuals and companies uh, to do some strategic planning. And in, in an organization, you have to know what your purpose is, you have to know what your core values are, and you have to have a vision for what you want to accomplish. And when I think about the church and its purpose, I look to the purpose of the church as the Great Commission. Go, Jesus says, in what? Make disciples of all nations. That's our purpose. We're supposed to go into the world, tell people about Christ, and inform them about who he is and invite them to become part of the family of God, to give their life to Christ and to grow in that and help them grow to make disciples. What are our core values at the church? What should our core values be? I believe it's a great commandment to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And what's our vision? I believe that this picture in this window into what the church was doing in the first century gives us a vision of what to keep focused on, what it looks like. And so what did they do? The first essential is the essential of devotion. They devoted themselves, and that's not just devoting themselves to an idea, it's devoting themselves to persistence in what? In the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, breaking the bread and prayer. These are the essentials. A while back, my wife and I went to a drive-in movie. Anybody go to a drive-in movie? I like to do surveys. Anybody go to a drive-in movie lately? Yeah, you go in, you have to tune your radio in, you know, and we, we pulled in and we got a pretty good spot. We were there, and we had to tune our radio to the thing, and partway through the first 20 minutes, it starts to get staticky. Well, that's the only way we can hear the movie. So I turn my car on, drive forward a little bit, comes in clear. Put it in park, shut it off, listen to the movie. 10 more minutes, gets staticky again. I put it in drive, I reverse, I backed up until it got clear, and then I shut it off. To, I did that the entire movie, every 10 minutes. I'm sure the people around us were going insane. This is what keeps us tuned in. These are the things that keep us sensitive to who God is and what he wants us to do. We need his word in our life. It is our lifeblood and understanding, and if we're not getting our 
word of God into us, then how are we living our life? How do we know what our next steps are? The fellowship, breaking of bread. I love that that's part of the essentials. We gotta eat with each other. I'm a big fan. I mean, one of the most spiritual things you could do, get together, have some fellowship, have a Bible study, order pizza. The Bible tells us to do that. Isn't that awesome? And that there is actually talking about the the Lord's Supper, celebrating the broken bread, the broken body and shed blood of Christ. But they did it as a feast. They had dinner together. They ate together. We're going to go do that today. And that's awesome. That's part of what we need to do. And there's something about coming together around food, coming together around meals, inviting people into your house, living in authentic community, seeing how each other does life in your homes. We need that. We desperately need to be in each other's homes, to be invited to somebody's house, to live life together, to breaking of bread and to prayer. My wife is going after her doctorate uh, degree. She has to take the GREs, and part of the GREs is this math section. And she's like, I have not done math since 1992. That was the last college course I took in math. I haven't really, she's an English teacher and a reading specialist, so she doesn't do math like that. And so she starts, and she's on this course on the internet. And, and she says, hey, can you answer this problem? And I looked at it, and I was like, oh yeah. So I started working on it, realized I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, nope, can't do it. I was like, what level are you on? She said, fifth grade. <laughs> so if Jeff Foxworthy were here with his show, and I had to answer the question, are you smarter than a fifth grader? I would have to say no. I am not. Addition, multiplication, subtraction, division, those, those things are essentials. And they're at the core of math, and you never move beyond them. You just incorporate them. If you're doing algebra or calculus or or whatever else is after that, you never stop doing the essentials. And if you stop doing the essentials, we think if we're going to stop reading the scriptures, as long as I read this book from this author, I, I start doing this. No, if you stop reading the scriptures, you forget the scriptures, and it's no longer at the core of your life. We have to stay focused on those things. Amen? The second thing is essential care. They sold their possessions and goods. I love that the first thing, they were devoted to the word and they were devoted to prayer and fellowship and breaking the bread and the result were these miraculous things were happening. And the second part is this essential care that they sold their possessions and goods and gave to everyone. If you go to the fourth chapter of Acts, it talks about them doing that again and it says in the church that there were no needy among them. No, there's no, there was no needy among them. I want you just to imagine a city where there was no needy among them. And it wasn't that they were just keeping out those that were needy. They were providing for their needs. God was adding to their number daily those who were being saved, and they continued to give them hope in Christ 
and hope that every day that they would be there for each other. There's a lot of problems in our city. There's a ton of things that are broken and that need fixed and that we as the church should be the first ones meeting those needs and going into those places and finding them and diving into them and trying to fix them. Two weeks ago when I spoke, I, went to, I had to leave here because I was going to Harrisburg with a leadership group that I was in. And, and the leadership group went to Harrisburg and we got to meet all these different politicians and we got to go into different places. It was really neat to see uh, government in action. Uh, what I mean is government in action. <laughs> government in action. I mean, we, we went onto the Senate floor, and I'm not joking. For the first 45 minutes that the Senate opened in Pennsylvania State Senate, they introduced all the new people, including us, so that was nice. They clapped. 45 minutes to an hour, they begin the first bit of work. Clerk, would you read the journal? The clerk begins to read the journal immediately. Somebody makes a motion to not read the journal. All in favor of not reading the journal, say aye, Senator so-and-so, aye, Senator so-and-so, aye, Senator so-and-so, aye, Senator so-and-so, aye, I'm not joking, Senator so-and-so, aye, 50 times, 50 times. It would have taken less time to read the journal than it decided not to read the journal. And then I'm not joking, right after that, they, somebody made a motion to take a recess, and they broke. So they've been an hour introducing people, 15 minutes deciding not to do something, and then they took a break because they were tired. <laughs> Later on, one of the politicians said, uh, I hope they don't go here. One of the politicians said, <laughs> the answers to the problems are in this building. And I said, that may be true, but they'll never get out. They're not coming out. The answers to the problems are here in this building. In our churches. The people that God has saved to do something about the brokenness in this world. That's where the answers are. It's in Christ, in the people that he has saved. Our job is to care for this broken world. And let me tell you, standing up here on the hill complaining about what's going on in the city does not fix the problem. In the Middle Ages, the whole view of the church changed during the Black Plague, where a third of the population of Europe was killed. And as people were running from the cities and moving out of the cities because of the disease, the Christians moved in. And the whole perspective of what it means to be a Christian changed because people were willing to risk their lives. We have a, a city that is hurting. And instead of complaining or running from the problem, buy a house on 17th Street and move in. Get to know some neighbors. Get involved with Servieri. I love this project because it's a tangible way to say the church loves the city. 
We care about what happens here. We're not going to get caught in the political rhetoric. We're going to go and fix some problems. We're going to help you with your house. We're going to help you with your kids. We're going to share the love of Christ in our words and our actions. The research shows that people don't ever make it out of poverty unless they are mentored out. That means one-on-one or one-on-two. But when that happens, people make it out. People's lives change. But that's what it's going to take. And finally, it's essential community. Essential devotion, essential care, and essential community. It says they met daily in the temple courts and from house to house. They broke bread in their homes with glad and sincere hearts. What I love about that, and I don't do this a lot, but sometimes, you know, when you're investigating a scripture, you look at the Greek words, to what's the original usage? The word that means sincere is singleness of mind. Simple singleness of mind. And glad means wild joy. They got together And it was awesome. And they have amazing time together. They had wild joy based on the love of Christ and the fellowship that they have in him. They met together daily in the temple courts to worship and from house to house. In the first century, at the end of the first century, scholars think that there was probably about 25,000 Christians. And by the time of Constantine... In 310-ish A.D., do you know how many Christians they suspect there were in the Roman Empire? Any guesses? 12 million? 20 million. From 25,000 in the end of the first century, and in 200 years, 20 million. How does that happen? With no cell phones and no Facebook? How did they communicate? How did they, you know what they did? You know what the strategy was? House to house. Hey, the house is full. Go next door. Start another meeting. They traveled from town to town and city to city. They went from place to place. They didn't build. Constantine was the one that killed the movement. He started building buildings. The church met in homes 300 years. Same thing happened in China. When the, when the uh, communists came in, they kicked them all, all the Christians out. They said there's probably less than a million Christians when the communist regime took over. And now in China, it was the best thing that ever happened to Christianity because there's over 100 million Christians in China now in 70 years. And the house churches are meeting at 3 a.m., baptizing people in frozen rivers because... They've found the love of Christ. You know, in the house church, 60% of the house church pastors are women. Isn't that cool? The church is exploding. It doesn't need a building. It just needs the essentials. Acts 5, 42, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped proclaiming the good news. The last word that I want to talk to you about is this word homothematon. It means one in passion. Nine times in the book of Acts, 
it's used. Most of the times it's used for an angry mob going after somebody. But in this scripture, it's used as the church, one passion, moving together in the name of Christ to bring the good news to the world. They acted together. They acted together with one passion. They had momentum. You know what momentum is? More math. Mass times velocity equals momentum. The greater amount, velocity, speed in a particular direction creates momentum. We as the church, if we act with one passion to pursue a relationship with Christ and to make him known in this city, to act in tangible ways, we can create momentum in the body of Christ to reach those that are still far from him. But we need each other to do it. So let me pray. Jesus, we come together as one church. Different churches meeting all over the city, all over this region. That you would give us singleness of mind, that we would experience your wild joy as we meet together. That we would stay focused on those things that keep us in tune with you. And that we would love this city with the tangible work of Christ. Meeting needs and serving those that are struggling and far from you. And our ultimate prayer is that you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.